Welcome to 30-Minute Theology, where we discuss the teachings and practices of the Catholic Church. I'm your host, John Bacon, and with me today is Father Daniel. Morning, John. Good morning, Father Daniel. Spoiler alert, we are talking about divine revelation today, which, uh, if you don't know what divine revelation is, it's simply um, the fact that the divine God reveals himself to us, humanity. And we will be covering topics this morning, which are the driving factor between um, why Father Daniel and I were raised devout evangelical, became clergy in, for me, Anglican world, for him, Orthodox world, and then finally, why both of us reconciled with Rome. So this should be a fun ride because uh, it turned our lives upside down or right side up, depending on how you look at it <laughs> for the past decade. Exactly. <clears throat> so uh, first off, I would just like to reiterate the question of what is divine revelation and why do we need it? Because for the past two episodes, I've been hammering away at the goodness of human reason, the integrity of reason and faith. Mm. So if reason is a good thing created by God, why do we need revelation? Mm-hmm. Why, why do we need God to speak versus I can just be Plato or Aristotle and... Mm-hmm. Maybe God gives me genius genius enough intellect to arrive at these things by my own rationale. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about, we should talk about what uh, revelation means in, in a technical sense, but I would say in, in the most general sense, revelation is, is the hidden life of the Trinity shared with creation, right? So God, God when he creates, when he speaks... Uh, the cosmos into existence, we have our first point of revelation, right? And he speaks it into nothingness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's our beginning point mm-hmm. is uh, with all of this, including uh, the conversations we've been having about reason, uh, which is something that was created. Mm-hmm. It is uh, It is part of revelation, if you will, in the sense of God revealing something about himself. But yes, revelation is God's love for mankind, love for creation. Yes, yeah, so Vatican I, uh, Ecumenical Council of the Catholic Church, reiterates what was said in the Council of Trent back at the time of the Protestant Reformation, that man can by reason know with certainty mm. the existence of God, which is a bold assertion the Catholic Church has never backed down from. And they are simply not backing down from sacred scripture, <laughs> which Protestants and Catholics share. The Holy Apostle Paul's epistle to the Romans, he says, For what can be known of God, namely his divine power and eternal nature, has been made clearly visible yes. by the things that are seen. That is Romans chapter 1, verses 18. One of my uh, favorite Protestant professors in seminary said it this way. He says, Looking at creation, you will know the existence of God, that there is a divine being to whom you must give account. What you will not know is pick up a three-leaf clover and understand the mystery of the Trinity by <laughs> right. sheer intuition. Yes. So that's that's kind of a funny example of how reason drives us to the question of God and grants us certitude of his existence. Yes. But it also leaves us with questions. Well, what is his plan? Mm-hmm. What's he like? Mm-hmm. Is he kind? Yes. Those sorts of things, which only revelation can provide answers to. Right. 
Yeah, creation is in a sense a big question mark. Mm-hmm. It it isn't uh, self fulfilling. It's not self existing. It actually says basically, why am I here? Because it can't create itself. And so we immediately, when we you know open our eyes, we immediately discover we need something more than creation itself, than reason. It's in in order to understand the why question. You just sent off a big light bulb in my head, Father Daniel, because as I was reading through the documents of Vatican I yesterday, before it uh, described what I just quoted about knowing God of certainty through creation, it mm-hmm. first, in the preceding clause, spoke of God as the source and end of all created reality. Indeed. And that, you saying... Um, Creation is a big question mark. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense mm-hmm. because um, creation is not the beginning nor end of the story. No, the beginning and end of the story is the purpose of God, exactly. which only He can, only He can communicate to us. Exactly. Several of the Eastern Fathers of the Church talk about this movement uh, of creation and salvation being this kind of circular movement. You have first a movement out from the inner life of God. This is Mm -hmm. creation. And then suddenly you have something else, something other than God himself. Mm -hmm. This is creation ex nihilo, you know, something that doesn't exist for itself or in itself. But it doesn't end there. It's meant to continue on this path of return back to to its creator through this process of elevation, Mm -hmm. right? Going beyond itself uh, back to God. And that's a process of grace. In mm-hmm. which uh, nature, creation, is elevated beyond its own internal structure in this return process. Moving out from God, creation, creation itself, then filled with grace, return. It's just a beautiful image. Yes. So in our next episode, we will be talking about the doctrine of the Trinity, which we will not explain, but speak of. <laughs> and at the center of this mystery of God's triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is this fact given to us in the first epistle of the Apostle John that God is love. Mm. So as Catholics, we be, our, our primary belief before anything is God is love. And that is something revealed to us. And um, his love is actually the motive of revelation. Like we speak, we, we, we reveal our inmost thoughts and hearts with others when we desire intimacy. Absolutely. When we want to reveal something of ourselves in order to be received by the other mm-hmm. as a gift. So let's look a little bit about um, how it is that God reveals himself to us. So in the Protestant world, I was familiar with the distinction between general and revelation and what we would call particular or specific revelation. Mm-hmm. So uh, how God reveals himself to all people through nature. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the silent witness of scripture that's spoken of in Romans chapter 1, Psalm 19. Psalm 19 speaks about creation always speaking day and night, although his voice is not heard, Uh, that it has this silent yet steady witness to the existence of God. But then we have the things God speaks clearly to us about himself. Now, I, in my Protestant upbringing, would have understood that latter category, specific revelation, exclusively as scripture. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that reductionistic and actually not from scripture? Well, because it's it's actually separated 
revelation or the source of revelation out to one degree, right? You've, uh-huh. you've made uh, words about revelation become revelation itself. Uh-huh. And I think this is most clearly seen when we talk about who Christ is. Uh-huh. The Logos, as the Gospel of St. John is going to call him, which is the foundation, the blueprint. And so the word, the word, and, and this is a, a mistake that a lot of us make, especially as Protestants in that world. We made this mistake a lot where you say the word is scripture. Uh huh. Well, the word is not scripture. The word is Christ himself. Yep. Uh, revelation is him revealing himself to us. And so we have different modes of revelation that we could talk about. Mm-hmm. And those are related to how uh, creation is broken down into its different constituent parts, um, mm-hmm. right? We have words, and we do reveal certain things through words, but we also have all the other senses, all the other experiences, and God reveals himself in all those ways. Yeah. So um, I first asked this question in two ways. I think they both occurred to me during undergrad when I was pursuing my degree in biblical studies. Mm. The first is... Um, the Exodus, okay? So we, with the Jews, receive the uh, Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament as the books of Moses. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we think that Moses necessarily wrote Deuteronomy 34 about his own death. Now, there may be some right. priestly, prophetic uh, revisions inspired by God, mm-hmm. but like there is a mosaic source Absolutely. of the Torah. It bears his fingerprints. The question for me was... Uh, when I say God revealed himself through Exodus, am I talking about the book mm-hmm. or the event? Right. And this is not an either-or question, but it made me realize, you know, before Moses wrote the story of the Exodus, uh, God revealed himself in the Exodus. Absolutely. And this is why when you look at Vatican II's um, document on divine revelation, these speak of how God reveals himself in both his words and his actions. Absolutely. It was pointed out to me in seminary that unlike myself, God is not a hypocrite. So his words and actions both communicate the same reality himself. <laughs> so um, God, who famously speaks and most says, I am who I am. Yeah. He utters those words audibly before they are written. Yes. And before the the Jewish people of God have the account of the exodus they actually experience it mm-hmm. so this is where i first realized oh so like the reason we have scriptures because god actually intervenes in human history yes. he actually steps in as an actor he speaks he acts yes and revelation is both the act itself and the interpretation given to the event by scripture yeah it's a both and thing and we need both but then we come forward to the New Testament. Um, who's the Bart Ehrman, hmm. the uh, jaded ex-Christian who seeks to discredit the authenticity of the New Testament? Uh, just for the record, he's never been able to cast uh, credible suspicion on the New Testament without hmm. casting equal suspicion on the entire existence of the Roman Empire and the existence <laughs> and writings of both Virgil and Cicero. Yes. So take, take it with a grain of salt. But here's part of the crux of uh, whether or not the New Testament can be trusted. Part of the debate is like, well, there's a 30-year gap, mm-hmm. probably at the earliest, mm-hmm. between the events themselves of Revelation, Jesus Christ's incarnate life, 
death, resurrection, ministry, and Galilee. Right. And they're writing in the New Testament. Now, my purpose is not about that debate so much as it shocked me. And I thought, oh, my goodness, my Protestant upbringing, I can't understand. Why did the apostles not, like, the day after Christ's ascension, get pen and paper and start writing things down? Mm-hmm. It's because, although God in his divine economy has determined scripture as necessary for faith right wasn't deemed immediately necessary no because they had the living spirit inspired empowered mm-hmm. preaching and witness of the apostles yes that the existence of revelation jesus christ the mediator and fullness of revelation coming to earth mm-hmm. that precedes the people of god mm-hmm. and the people of god proceed scripture itself absolutely absolutely this seems to be how god uh is working himself and his uh his salvation out into all aspects of human existence right he's Mm -hmm. he's incarnate as a human being but eventually the necessity uh for sanctifying human words Mm -hmm. um becomes important and so that's why we have this this written revelation unfolding as well as the revelation of God himself and his his acts, his interventions. So they both seem necessary to the human experience. Uh, we, we really need both of them. And I think that's why we do have sacred scripture, written that's scripture, right. because the word, the human word needs to be redeemed as well, corrected as well, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So now that we've looked a little bit about this, just to recap, because I know I threw a lot of stuff out there that I should summarize quickly. So just just to rehash, revelation is the action of God by which he reveals himself to man. Yes. This action is both verbal mm-hmm. and nonverbal. Mm-hmm. It consists of divine speech. It also consists of divine action. Because mm-hmm. God, unlike me, is not a hypocrite. His speech and his action reinforce the same reality mm-hmm. himself. The fullness and mediator of all revelation is Jesus Christ. Yes. For he is the word, the speech of God, mm-hmm. and the incarnate person in whom the fullness of God is all of God. Mm. Every bit of God is communicated to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is Catholic teaching contained in the documents of Vatican II. This is also in our sacred scriptures itself. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. And many times and in sundry ways and places, God has spoken to us through the prophets. But in these last days, he has revealed himself to us by his son. Beautiful. Hmm. So revelation consists of action and word. It consists of the event and the interpretation. Mm -hmm. So we have all this. Now the next question is, well, what is the relationship Mm -hmm. between the living event and the living word. Mm-hmm. In other words, what is the relationship between church and scripture? Hmm. Because from a Catholic perspective, we see those as two sides of the same coin mm-hmm. to an extent, mm-hmm. which probably sounds insane to some of my uh, Protestant friends and listeners. Mm-hmm. Why do we as Catholics see the church and scriptures as mutually uh, reinforcing yeah. rather than in some sort of enmity with one another. 
Well, if uh, this thing, revelation, is the experience of God mm-hmm. coming into contact with us, communicating certain things to us, desiring to relate to us, um, then there is a kind of consistent whole to it that begins, as you said, John, begins and ends with Christ. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Mm-hmm. So we have different ways in which he accomplishes that. All of those are experienced within the context of the church, because what is the church? It's it's the body of Christ. It's the experience of the Holy Spirit at work to uh, redeem, restore, vivify fallen human nature and, and the cosmos beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so how could there be a meaningful separation between these two things? You're kind of saying, well, in Christ, there's some division. In God, there's some division. We would say, no. Mm-hmm. There's a, a woven tapestry of the experience of God. And sometimes that that uh, comes forth in written word, and sometimes it comes forth in liturgy. Sometimes it comes forth in uh, sacred art. Uh-huh. It's one revelation, united revelation of God that you can't really separate the parts out without uh, it really falling apart for us as, as a whole experience of a whole God. Yeah. So to give an example of this in the Old Testament, before uh, Moses wrote down the dimensions of the tabernacle, yes, he handed the dimensions of the tabernacle to somebody and it was built. (laughs) So God has revealed himself to us in the moral commandments of the church, which were delivered orally by Moses to Mm -hmm. the Old Testament people of God. Mm -hmm. He communicated himself liturgically by the provision of the liturgy and the provision of the design for a tabernacle. Yes. And third, he communicated himself through the composition of sacred scripture himself. Absolutely. Now, uh, I know a lot of my Protestant evangelical friends want to return to their Jewish roots. As a Catholic, uh, I kind of feel like I've never left them. Absolutely. (laughs) Because we have, um, in Christ... The pattern of the divinely sanctioned liturgy, the divinely sanctioned uh, people mm-hmm. and priesthood, and the divinely sanctioned scripture. Mm-hmm. I would like to kind of take a step back and give two practical examples of this. So um, Scott Hahn, a famous convert to Catholicism, one of my favorite professors, I'm reaching over here to grab my Bible. He was asked by a seminary student if he could prove from Scripture alone (laughs) that Scripture alone (laughs) is necessary for faith. Hmm. And uh, he confesses in Rome Sweet Home that this made him really angry (laughs) because the question is, no, it's a theological premise. Right. And he said, what does the Scripture say Mm -hmm. about the canon of truth, the rule of truth, the pillar of truth? Well, I have my Bible right here. 1 Timothy 2.14. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to uh, Timothy. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these instructions to you so that if I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the truth. truth. So the same Apostle Paul who writes that Scripture is living and active, the Word of God, Mm -hmm. also writes that the church... Mm -hmm is the pillar of truth. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that Paul had an off day or that part of the Bible's not inspired. <laughs> it's it's a both and, not an either or. 
Exactly. St. Augustine, I, I uh, believe, said that if it weren't for the authority of the church, he would not believe in the authority of Scripture. That's right, because who tells us what Scripture is? Right, right. Exactly. Or why is, uh, why is certain liturgy good and certain liturgy bad, which, of course, developed in, in the great heresies of the church where liturgy was changed. But all of these, these sorts of things must be taken together. As, mm-hmm. a, as a united experience of revelation, of not a God who's just intervening in the past and we have this kind of like distant experience from him. We have a time-related experience with him where he intervenes in time, but ultimately, because he's also eternal, we have that experience fully present. In, in the Eastern liturgies, uh-huh. for example, we have a, a beautiful image of this reality where we say, when we're commemorating some great event from the life of Christ or the people of God, we say, today has salvation unfolded. And that's because we truly believe in the experience of the church. The word, the liturgy, the sacrament is all made alive. Mm-hmm. God is fully present uh, in those things as a united whole. Yeah. So why, uh, I think it's worth delving into a little bit. Why does scripture alone, without the magisterium, the teaching office of the church, why does that not work in practice? Well, first of all, it can't defend itself historically. Mm-hmm. You have to do kind of archaeology in order to attempt to come up with some canon. And, and the bottom line is that was a messy process, and it's really only through the authority of the church that we have some sense of why, or we have a clear sense, I should say, why certain books were excluded and why others were not. Mm-hmm. And certain books were excluded not because they were considered heretical. That's right. But because they, uh, for whatever reason, weren't uh, by the church considered as efficacious or as important as other books. We might think of the Proto-Evangelium of St. James, which talks about the mother of God and the life of Joachim and Anna, St. Joachim mm-hmm. and Anna. Um, it's there we could talk about the distinction, if there is any real meaningful distinction, between apocryphal books of the Old Testament and others. But the church is that is that mechanism, <laughs> the magisterium of the church is that mechanism that gives authority to the, to the scriptures in the first place mm-hmm. so that we don't have to fear that there's going to be this aha moment when some cave is uh, dug into and some different kind of scripture reveals itself the gnostic gospels or these types of things and we think oh everything changes that's right the church has spoken this is authoritative thank god yeah um vatican ii speaks about how public revelation ended Mm -hmm. with the death of the last apostle the apostle john right i think that may be a little bit surprising to some of our Protestant listeners, how nuanced the Catholic position is on Revelation. Mm -hmm. Because we'll come to this in later episodes when we explain papal infallibility and um, what authority the church is given by Christ to uh, determine Mm -hmm. the content. Well, not determine the content of Revelation, but to determine the content of what Christian doctrine is. Mm -hmm. But the church does not uh, provide itself the prerogative to write scripture. No, it doesn't. The church is only uh, 
only discern that it had the authority and responsibility to discern what scripture is mm -hmm. composed by the prophets and apostles, mm -hmm. but not actually to compose it. And how to interpret scripture as well. We certainly have, we certainly have this issue, right? Because That's right. Scripture, this is another problem uh, with sola scriptura, mm -hmm. scripture as, as the kind of source and, and interpretation of itself. Um, you, you need a living interpreter of it. But nevertheless, you're right. The church didn't give itself the authority to write more scripture. Yeah. And uh, that is because I think uh, Christ, the incarnate Christ and, and the ministry uh, he bestows upon the apostles does unfold in, in time. Yeah. Right? And so even though we might say, okay, we have a, a living God who speaks through the living church. Uh-huh. Um, so that authority is fully present today. Nevertheless, salvation history unfolds over time. And so in Christ's earthly ministry, he gives his teaching, his charisma to the apostles, and they hand it on. And, and the church is the only competent uh, one to say, what is that? What's in that content? That's right, because written, written revelation scripture is always an unpackaging yes. of action revelation god acting in human history exactly so with the coming and the ascending of christ uh vatican ii says it this way we wait on no public revelation until the appearing of our savior right Which i find really cool so yeah so one side of this is that um we we have the completion of public revelation of jesus christ the other is the giving of the holy spirit mm -hmm. who would quote lead us into all into truth. all truth christ is the fullness of revelation but now the church has this holy spirit mandated right mission right to delve deeper into the truth of jesus christ which uh we need the holy spirit mm -hmm. along with the bible mm -hmm. and the holy spirit is given to the church mm-hmm and the promise mm -hmm. of understanding is not given to individuals so much as it is given collectively to the community. Right. Here's a perfect, uh, I think, juncture, John, where we turn back to the, the beginning of, of this talk, in which we, we asked that question, and I think we can now answer that question. What is divine revelation for? What's its purpose, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we've talked about different modes of revelation, how it's a united whole, it's it's uh, God revealing himself to us through, through different ways. But why do we need it, right? Mm -hmm. And why, why is the Holy Spirit leading us into all truth? What's that story about? And that's where we talk about the completion of, the, I think, that circle mm -hmm. that the fathers talk about, where creation is here. We, we kind of wake up into this question, why? Uh, we find uh, that God has revealed himself uh, in the beginning, and it's meant to go somewhere. So this is where divine revelation, when we talk about particular revelation, we could use that word, I think that's okay, in scripture and in liturgy and all the things that we have from the church. Where is it moving us towards? That's mm -hmm. the point. Um, so I would say the answer to the question why is why is precisely why we have divine revelation. God reveals himself initially in a kind of question mark. He reveals himself because of love, mm -hmm. but we're to do something with it. That's right. So coming back to the necessity of the church with scripture, in my study of church history, uh, 
taught by both Protestants and Catholics. Mm-hmm. I've never counted a heretic who did not appeal to Scripture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is This is kind of troubling if, if you're married to Sola Scriptura to realize there is no heretic <clears throat> who is not committed to careful exegetical interpretation of the Bible. Absolutely. And they've produced the craziest beliefs. Denial of the right. divinity of the Holy Spirit. Right. Denial of the divinity of Christ. Mm-hmm. Denial of the necessity of grace mm-hmm. for salvation. Mm-hmm. All these outlandish things mm-hmm. they have proved from Scripture alone. Mm-hmm. And if you go and look at the ecumenical councils, I think we have to recognize two things. Number one, the voice of the defenders of the faith always goes something like this. Mm-hmm. Arius, Pelagius, mm-hmm. uh Nestorius, whoever the heretic is, Mm -hmm. I know you've read your Bible really hard, (laughs) and I know you mean really well and you're really convinced, but that's different than the faith that we received. Mm -hmm. It doesn't accord with the faith that is conveyed in our sacramental liturgy. Mm -hmm. It disrupts the integrity of what's come before. So first, the appeal to the living tradition of the church Mm -hmm. in order to understand Scripture. Mm -hmm. And they have to. if, If... if they agree to disagree, mm-hmm. we're agreeing for the church should be a multiplicity of religions that worships different gods. Like, there's no compatibility between these interpretations. No. Second, it's not simply an intellectual argument. At some point, authority has to step in. Yes. And give voice. Yes. Which is the ecumenical council mm-hmm. affirmed and delivered mm-hmm. by the successor of Peter. Right. The right. Pope. So with the givenness of revelation also comes the responsibility to develop Mm -hmm. dogma, Mm -hmm. which we'll come back later in an episode to talk more about John Henry Newman's uh, seminal work, The Development of Doctrine. But the point is is that if we have a closed canon, Mm -hmm. if we have a given uh, Bible Mm -hmm. to us by God through the church, then we have the responsibility to make choices as time goes along. Absolutely. Is Jesus fully God or fully man? We can't say, well, get alone with the Holy Spirit in your Bible and choose for yourself. Mm-hmm. For the church to proceed, there has to be a method of determining how to interpret Scripture. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not given by Scripture itself. What is given in Scripture is the promise of uh, to Peter. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. God reveals himself for a particular reason right? Um, and so revelation matters to us because it's, it's moving us. The conclusions that we reach from God's revelation to us move us in a particular direction. And so all of the, the, the popes and the holy fathers of, of uh, church history are motivated by this one concern. They, they sometimes call this the soteriological motive, mm-hmm. which was that they understood that if you change the way in which you understands, understand God's revelation, you change the outcome of human destiny. That's right. And so they're fighting for salvation. Yeah. They're fighting for a particular understanding of revelation because revelation, again, is going to move us, or our understanding is going to move us in a particular direction. We don't want to move in a bad direction. We want to move in the right direction. We, under, we want to understand God's word to us about us, um, his commandments to us in the right way. That's right. So that we actually reach the kingdom of God and not some other place. Yeah. 
Well, Father Daniel, it sounds like my office is being overtaken by mariachi music. I don't know what's going on <laughs> in other parts of the church office. I would like to close with a couple of recommended resources for anyone who would like to uh, look at um, this whole concept of divine revelation in further detail. First would be, once again, uh, the uh, contents of the councils themselves, particularly Vatican I and Vatican II. Second, um, this is a more biographical than philosophical book, but if you want to look at someone's journey of grappling in this question, mm-hmm. I commend the book Rome Sweet Home mm. by Scott Hahn, who, like me, was a student of biblical studies and a teacher of the Bible, a Protestant minister, and his love for the Bible led him to the necessity of the church and yes. to the authoritative teaching office of the church, which the Catholic Church supplies. Father Daniel, is there anything else you would like to recommend? Oh, no, I'm just indebted to all of these people. I mean, we have uh, beautiful, beautiful examples of the right way to interact with with Holy Scripture and uh, from modern authors, the encyclicals of the of the Holy Popes, and, and especially the lives of the saints mm-hmm. who uh, are in love with the Scriptures. All of us, doesn't matter if we're Catholic, Orthodox, Protestants, ought to be a little embarrassed if we look into the lives of the saints and see their relationship with with sacred scripture, yes, mm-hmm. but all of the ways in which God reveals himself uh, in the liturgy, sacred art, etc. So let's, uh, let's delve into all of them and uh, through their prayers live by their example. Because the hope is that our listening would catch up with God speaking. Exactly. I know in uh, my life as a married man, that in my marriage, if one person is speaking mm. and the other is not listening to the speech, <laughs> there is a fracture of relationship. Exactly. God speaks to us out of love. He speaks to us through sacred scripture. He speaks to us through sacred tradition. Mm. He reveals to us that which is necessary for salvation, mm-hmm. not simply our ticket to heaven, as is conceived of in some evangelical circles, mm-hmm. but our entrance into full participation in the divine life, yes. communion with saints, redemption from sin, healing of our interior life, restoration of godly relationships. Mm -hmm. God is speaking to us all those things that will bring us to fullness of life. Well, Father Daniel, thank you for taking time today. It's my joy, John. God bless. Thirty Minute Theology is a podcast provided by the missionaries of St. Fatini, an apostolate dedicated to catechesis and evangelization. We exist to make the good news of Jesus Christ and the teachings of His Church accessible and understood. To learn more about the missionaries of St. Fatini and to access materials related to this podcast, please visit our website, saintfotini.force.com. The Thirty Minute Theology is helpful to you. Please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, and please consider supporting our work. Thank you for joining us.